All right. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 80, Zechariah's song this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, there are some under the chairs where you are sitting that you can use this morning too. You know, I was thinking about uh, the children's Christmas program and uh, this can be a hard act to follow. You know, those kids are just so cute and you, you look at them and they all have the different responses. Some have a little bit of that deer in the headlights look, you know, and just there are people out there and others are just so cute in their expressions and what they share. I was thinking of last year, Pastor Jason spoke and he told those stories of how, you know, with children, you're not always sure what you're going to get. Uh, he talked about when the kids were drawing their Christmas pictures and, you know, they had the manger scene and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men who had come and then there was this really big heavy guy, you remember, Brown John Virgin, that was there <laughs> at the manger scene too? Well, I heard a cute story too about a little girl who came home from her Sunday school class and announced to her mom that she was so excited to learn that Jesus was Swedish. And her mom was rather puzzled by that. And, you know, how did you find out that he was Swedish? And she said, well, it's in this song. The little Lord Jesus laid down his Swede head. <laughs> so you have to check those things with your kids. You know, I'm, I don't think that's what they're quite being taught here, but they may pick up on some things in their own way. Now, all of that has nothing to do with the sermon. That was just the transition here. <laughs> and what we're going to be looking at this morning is, again, Zechariah's song of praise. We've been in the Gospel of Luke. We're working our way through these texts that lead up to the birth of Jesus. And they are just so beautiful in the way that they are told. They, they, there's no embellishment here. Luke is telling us what has happened happen in these events and he tells them so simply and powerfully uh, this is going to be the second song that we're going to look at remember I said that there are four songs that Luke records in chapters one and two of his gospel this one has been called the benedictus from the Latin word for blessing or praise and we're going to start with the birth of John the Baptist so I want to read that account for us first and then we're going to move into the rest of the text after that. Listen to this scripture. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand 
was with him. Amen. As we walk through this passage, uh, what we see are really three qualities in this story that should characterize our Christmas as well. First of all, Christmas is a season of wonder. And as we have been reading these accounts about the angels' appearances to Zachariah and Elizabeth, to Mary, we hear these wonderful announcements, and now the birth of John, there is this sense of wonder that just permeates all of this. What is God doing here? There is great joy. When the people gathered at this time, when Elizabeth was going to deliver, they were so excited. I mean, you can imagine this small rural village and the people are gathered there. And this is more like a community event in a sense that the word travels quickly. And her friends and relatives have gathered to celebrate. And you can imagine what it was like for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was barren. Zachariah and Elizabeth were in their old age. And Elizabeth must have laughed and she must have cried tears of joy as they placed her newborn son into her arms. And all of her neighbors and relatives rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, John was to be circumcised according to the Jewish custom. And the relatives that came that day again to witness this joyous occasion. And it was on that day that he was going to be named. And so the relatives assumed that This baby boy would be named after Zechariah, his father. Sometimes a son was named after the grandfather. That was sort of the naming custom at that time. And to their amazement, Elizabeth rather strongly spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they protested, there's no one among your relatives by that name. So they motioned to Zechariah to ask him. What's interesting about that is that Zechariah may also have been deaf during this time. The word can mean both. We do know that because he did not believe initially what the angel had said to him, that he was not going to be able to speak until the child was born. But here is Zechariah now, and he takes this writing tablet, and he writes that his name is John the name given by God. He doesn't write, he will be called John. His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and he began to speak. And the first words out of his mouth were words of praise. I mean, it has been welling up inside him. It has been there. And now this time has come. And Zechariah may have shed tears of joy as well as he praised and worshiped God. The neighbors, they were filled with awe. The story began to spread throughout the Judean hillside. And people were asking the question, what will this child be? What is God about to do? God had a plan for John's life before he was even born. And God has a plan for your life and for mine. We see that in Scripture. We see it with the prophet Jeremiah who would say that God called me while I was in my mother's womb. Called me, appointed me to be a prophet. Paul will say in Galatians that God set him apart 
from his birth, from his mother's womb to be an apostle, even though his call would come many, many years later. God knew what he was going to do. There's a story in my life that my mom, I don't think she told me this, I don't remember it until after God had called me into ministry. But when I was born, my parents attended an ALC Lutheran church. And as was the custom there, uh, they brought me to be baptized a couple weeks after I had been born. And there was another girl who was born four days apart about that same time who was also going to be baptized on that Sunday morning. And her grandmother had recently been to Israel. And she had brought back water from the Jordan River in Israel for that baptism service. And that morning, our pastor, Pastor Sucker, looked at my parents and said to my mom and dad that that boy should be a pastor. And my mom didn't tell me that story, like I said, because I don't think she wanted to influence me or put pressure on me in any way. But after God had called me to ministry, she shared that story. You know, Pastor Sucker wasn't a prophet, and I think he was just saying that because of the circumstances of that. But I look back and I think of how God knew, even before I was born, what it was that he wanted me to do. And God has a plan for our life. And when we surrender our heart to him and we choose to follow him in obedience, he makes that way known. And he wants to use you in your occupation, in your work, in your neighborhood to have a witness to others and to be that kind of influence for Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christmas is also a season of waiting. 400 years had passed from the time that the last prophet Malachi had spoken. 400 years of silence, and we looked at that. And then comes this angelic announcement where Gabriel comes and appears to Zechariah and tells him that they are going to have a son in their own age, and this son will be a forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to go before the Lord to prepare the way. He will point people to Jesus. For 400 years they have been waiting. The nation of Israel has been beaten down. They have been oppressed by other nations. You can go back through their history, the captivity under Babylon, the oppression by Egypt, the oppression by Greece as Alexander the Great marched through that part of the world. And now Rome is the dominant power. And they've not been able to worship as freely as they would like. They have had freedom to come to the temple to do some of the things that they would do, but they always have to be watchful of Rome and make sure that they don't step out of line. Life has been hard, and they wonder how long it will be, O oh Lord, until the Messiah comes and you set your people free. And then the angel Gabriel broke the silence there would be the birth of this son, John. And there would be the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. God was on the move. If you're familiar with the children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia and that Christ figure of Aslan, you know that there are those times when 
that children rejoice that Aslan is on the move or the word is out that God is about to do something great. John is born, but the waiting would continue 30 more years until his ministry would begin. That's a long time. Zachariah and Elizabeth in their old age may never have lived to see John speak. They might never have seen the start of his ministry. They just knew it from afar that this is what God was going to do in his life. Some think that John may have been raised by the Essene community in Qumran. We don't have conclusive evidence of that. It's just one of those things that they think about because of the the area in which he ministered and the kind of language that was used that was also reflected in that time in the Essene community. But the Christian life is marked by waiting. As a child, you wait for Christmas to come, and it seems like it's never going to get here. And as a kid, you're maybe counting the days or the hours, or maybe as a family, you do an advent calendar, and you go through those days, and you're just waiting one more, one more, one more. As Christians, we wait for Jesus. We long for his return, the second coming of our Lord. And for 2,000 years, God's people have been waiting and wondering, how long, O Lord? Is it today? And in our own lives, every day we get closer to that day when God is going to take us home. That if we know the Lord is our Savior, that day is going to come when he will take us to be with Jesus. When will that be? What will that day be like for us? You know, I mentioned last Sunday how much I enjoy listening to the music that's part of this Christmas season. And there has been one song in particular that has stuck out to me this year. It's a song written by Michael W. Smith. Amy Grant sings it. And it's the song, Almost There. And this song is about Mary on her journey to Bethlehem. It's about the time that she's going to give birth. She is making this journey there, and she is almost there. But it's also a song about our journey as well, and how as believers we're moving from birth toward that day when we're going to lay down this earthly tent. And that day is coming where Michael W. Smith has this line in there that is just, it's so powerful that we're almost there when death will end and life begins. And I think about some of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ in our church who are close to that age. I think of a woman who's in hospice right now. And she's so close to that time when death will end and real life begins. And it's just the opposite of what the world thinks. I mean, the world thinks that this is life and when you die, that's it and there's nothing beyond there and that's the end and they have no hope. But as a believer, it's just the opposite, that in this life, you know, this life is a gift from God. We live it to the fullest but we realize that this world is not what God intended it to be. And we see that struggle with sin and sorrow and sickness and suffering and death. And that day's going to come when death will end and be no more and life begins in all of its fullness. We long for that day when Jesus will return. 
And thirdly, Christmas is a season of worship, and that's what I see in Zechariah's song. Let me read it for you, beginning at verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Zechariah praised God, first of all, for remembering his covenant. He praised God for his faithfulness, that he has come, and he has redeemed his people. Do you catch that? It's it's past tense again, just like with the other songs that we looked at where Mary spoke prophetically in that way. It's as though it is done. I mean, we're just at the beginning of John's story, but it is done. The Messiah hasn't been born, but it is going to happen. And God has acted in history. And God has remembered his covenant with David and with Abraham, and he has raised up a horn of salvation. The horn was a symbol of strength. They think of those mighty animals like the ox or the bull or the ram, and they think of the horns that were there being a symbol of their power. But that phrase, horn of salvation, could also be translated, God has raised up a mighty Savior, a Savior who is able to redeem his people. There will be a political deliverance. There will be salvation from their enemies one day, and they will see that. But more than that, there will be a spiritual salvation. For this one who will come will pay the penalty for our sins. Zechariah praises God for his Son, John, for this miracle child, this child that was born that was so unexpected, beyond what they would have thought. And Zechariah, speaking over his son, says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah goes back, and in his mind are those Old Testament prophecies that spoke about this voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That will be this child. 
and he will go before the Messiah and he will point others to him. John in his ministry would call people to repentance. He would practice a baptism of forgiveness. He was preparing the way of the Lord. And people would come in droves out into the wilderness to hear this prophet of old. John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. In fact, he would be the fulfillment of those prophecies that said that before the great day of the Lord comes, Elijah would return. But it's not a reincarnation. It is John who is here in that same power and spirit that Elijah had, the power of God. And Zechariah praised God for Jesus. In verse 78, he said, because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And you get this beautiful, poetic picture of a new dawn, a new day is about to begin. The Messiah has come, and he will bring light, and he will bring life and hope and salvation to God's people. Zechariah is very likely thinking again of Isaiah, who wrote in chapter 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It is the fulfillment of what Malachi the prophet wrote. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he said, But for you who revere my name, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and you will leap like calves released from the stall. And I think of that beautiful imagery there that again he is describing. And if you are familiar at all with calves who have been kept or penned up and now they are released and you think of that in spring and they are released to go out and they kick up their heels with joy, with joy. That's how it's going to be when Jesus reigns. He is a light in the darkness. He brings peace to all who trust in him. And have you opened your heart to Christ? And do you know that peace in your own heart that comes when he reigns in your life? You know, it's interesting to look at the names of the individuals in these stories so far. Names are significant in Scripture, and we see that. And even God's choice to say, this child's going to be named John, and the Messiah, he's going to be named Jesus. But if you think about the names, Zechariah, the priest, his name means God remembers, and God has remembered his promise, his covenant. Elizabeth, her name means God is the absolutely faithful one. What a beautiful name. God is absolutely faithful. Gabriel, I've been chuckling about that. You know, the angel Gabriel, his name means God is my hero. I think that's great. And John, his name means that God is gracious. God is merciful. God has shown his favor to people who will come to him in repentance, who will admit their sin and open their heart to Jesus as Savior And then the name Jesus, most beautiful of all, that means God saves. God saves. 
That's why he came, to be our Savior. And if you have never done so before, if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and you would like to do that this morning, you could, in the quietness of your own heart, say to Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life? I want to know you as my Savior and Lord, and I give you my heart. And Jesus will take you at his word, and you could begin that new relationship with him this morning. And for all of us, may this be a Christmas that is filled with wonder at who Jesus is. May it be filled with waiting and anticipation as we look forward to his coming. And may it be filled with worship as we worship the newborn king. Let's pray. Father, personally, as I have been going through these texts, I have been so blessed by what has been recorded here by Luke. And I pray that the things that we looked at this morning really would be true of our Christmas as well. We stand in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. We look forward to celebrating Christmas this week, or we look forward even more to the return of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for the victory that you have won, that the day is coming when death dies and life begins. And Jesus, I pray that our hearts would turn to you in worship and in praise in all of our gatherings. And again, if you are here this morning and you want to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, would you just say to him, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Cleanse my heart. I surrender my life to you and invite you to be my Savior and Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Well, today, because of the children's program, we don't have a closing song. What I'd ask you to do, though, is to stand for our benediction, and then we'll be dismissed. In the first chapter of Revelation, the Apostle John wrote, Now to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>